0: Welcome to Ipsa a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm your host, Brian L. Fry, Spears Gilbert Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. My guest is Marie-Emily George, Assistant Professor of Law at Wake Forest Law. We will discuss her article, Expanding LGBT, which will be published in the Florida Law Review. So welcome to the show, Marie-Emily.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited.
0: Yeah, it's great to have you back. Um, and I really enjoyed reading this paper and frankly learned a lot from it as well. And I'm really interested and looking forward to sharing some of the things that I learned with listeners who I imagine some of them may not uh, be aware of some of the, uh, the, the ideas and, um, ways of being in the world that you describe in, in the paper. Uh, But I wonder if you could start, though, by talking about kind of how you came to write this particular paper. I mean, I know it fits in a really interesting way into your broader scholarly agenda, um, but it seems like it comes out of some interesting uh, substantive observations.
1: So this actually comes from teaching. Um, I was co-teaching the Sexuality and Gender Law Clinic at Columbia, um, and students have been asked to do research on... um, LGBT rights, like that was the mandate that they had gotten from our partner organization. And although the organization said LGBT, um, in our meetings, the students kept saying LGBTQIA. And I stopped them and said, look, all of these things, all of these letters represent something different. They are different issues. They are different identity groups. And I want to make sure you're doing what our partner has asked us to do. So what are they looking for specifically? And they really saw LGBT and LGBTQIA as synonymous. Uh, But when you add Q, I, and A, um, their project changed significantly, uh, But because what we're talking about is very different. Um, They're not all synonyms. Um, So this paper really grew out of a a desire to um, explain both the fact that um, people are, are willing to use them interchangeably even though they are not the same and what it means for something to be LGBT as opposed to LGBTQIA.
0: Mm. Well, so y- you tell a really interesting historical story in this paper about the sort of creation and evolution of this movement. I wonder if you could talk about that and how it relates to this kind of disjuncture between sort of the labels used to describe and the practical realities on the ground. Sure. So
1: um, for a very long time, um, we, I guess I should say before the LGBT movement, there was the gay and lesbian rights movement. And until um, the early 90s, uh, groups were explicitly gay and lesbian rights groups. Uh, There was a shift in the 1990s, usually pretty much mid-90s, to expand to include transgender rights. When gay and lesbian rights groups considered whether or not to expand their mission statements and their work to include trans rights, one of the big questions was, what what do these identity groups have in common? Um... Gays and lesbians are discriminated against based on their sexual orientation. Uh, Transgender individuals are discriminated against based on their gender identity. Um, Are those the same things? Are they um, connected enough that it makes sense to be one group? Or are they dissimilar such that these should be two different movements? And the conclusion that people came to was that, yes, sexual orientation and gender identity are not the same things. But... Gays and lesbians are often discriminated against because of their gender nonconformity. So it's not because they're, they have a same-sex partner; it's because they are um, uh, more effeminate or more masculine than gender norms say they should be. And transgender individuals are also being discriminated against because they don't conform to gender norms. So there was a sense that everyone uh, in these uh, who identified as gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, had this common source of of, um, discrimination, and that work to combat it was one and the same. And for that reason, the LGBT movement formed. In the actual advocacy on behalf of trans rights, lawyers tended to emphasize the way in which uh, trans men are men and trans women are women. So although the movement, the LGBT movement formed on a basis of shared gender nonconformity, the actual advocacy has moved away from this emphasis on gender nonconformity. And instead, trans rights advocacy has for, focused increasingly on, on gender conforming trans men and women.
0: So I wonder if you could you could talk a little bit more about the kind of points of convergence and the points of divergence historically between the lesbian and gay rights movements and the uh, transgender rights movement.
1: So in all the advocacy for all of the groups has really emphasized assimilationist arguments. So gays and lesbians are just like everybody else. They happen to have same sex partners. Uh, Trans men are like cisgender men. Trans women are like cisgender women. Um, A lot of the advocacy has been about uh, emphasizing sameness as opposed to difference, even though the movement is based on the fact that these are identity groups that are different from the mainstream, that are non-normative. And that has been a source of contention within the movement. It's also a source of contention for those seeking uh, to expand the movement to include other identity groups. Um, So a lot of individuals who identify as transgender do not identify as gender-conforming men or women. Uh, They identify as non-binary or agender or um, men sometimes and women other times. And so a lot of the diversity within the identity groups uh, gets filtered out when advocates actually take their arguments to court or to legislators or um, to administrative agencies.
0: Well, so in recent years, there have been a lot of very high profile successes of the lesbian and gay rights movement, especially, but of the trans- transgender rights movement as well. Do you think that those, uh, those policy successes, both on the judicial and on the legislative front, provide benefits or recognition in a kind of uniform way? Or is are, you know, are there kind of potentially diverging interests even within the the groups pushing for these rights?
1: I think it depends on your standpoint. A lot of people would say, look, these are incremental gains and winning these rights, and yes, these are essential rights. They are important. I do not want to take away from these victories that were very hard fought and difficult to win. Um, And that moving forward on any of these rights will necessarily help people, you know, the next time around. Um, But what we are missing from the conversation is quite a large subpopulation of the LGBT community, especially extremely gender nonconforming gays and lesbians and non-binary individuals. Um, We're not really seeing uh, their interests being represented in all of this. And it could be that that is just next and it's not the right time, but it could also be that we're not thinking about strategies uh, in such a way as to be inclusive of everybody.
0: Well, so I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the QIA part of the formulation, sort of what that means, how people should understand it, and how the interests of people who identify in those ways might be meaningfully different from other members of the sort of more broad coalition.
1: So I'll just start with some broad definitions. Uh, Queer is anyone who is non-heterosexual or non-cisgender. So gays and lesbians might identify as queer. Trans individuals might identify as queer. Um, Queer is really a broad category and, um, we could use queer in lieu of LGBT. But queer seems to be appended to LGBT to create LGBTQ, specifically to emphasize uh, the people who aren't already being represented by LGBT. And so that tends to be non-binary individuals. So this paper, I really focus on queer as a stand-in for non-binary or agender, because those are the people who aren't a huge part of the legal advocacy yet. And what's interesting about non-binary is that um, many trans individuals identify as non-binary, so they are supposed to be part of LGBT. Um, But the fact that we're adding Q indicates that we haven't really included them in, in LGBT and that there are different issues. And one of the big differences between gender-conforming trans individuals and non-binary individuals is that gender-conforming transgender individuals want to be recognized as the gender of of their gender identity. So trans men are men and trans women are women. Non-binary individuals um, want the ability to identify as neither male nor female or both male or female. It's about having a different gender identity category, as opposed to being able to assert one or the other. On intersex, uh, intersex individuals are people born with discordant sex characteristics. Um, so, sex is comprised of um, of uh, various biological, physiological components, chromosomes, hormones, uh, organs. Um, And there is some kind of mismatch between those. And as a result, intersex individuals uh, may identify as male. They may identify as female. They might identify as non-binary. They might identify as intersex. Um, But unlike uh, trans or non-binary, which is um, a designation based on someone's gender identity, intersex is about uh, physiology. And it's about someone whose uh, physical body does not match normative standards of male or female. Um, there are lots of points of connection and um, and tension between intersex and LGBTQ. Um, I think uh, intersex individuals really physically embody the arguments of non-binary individuals that people are not necessarily... Entirely male or entirely female, and that uh, it's a false dichotomy. But intersex individuals are are divided within their community. Some really want the ability to um, to assert themselves as intersex. Some uh, want to be able to identify as um, as male or female without any kind of medical intervention. Uh, Then the last group is asexual. Asexual individuals are uh, people who do not uh, experience sexual attraction to other people. Uh, So asexuality is a sexual orientation. Uh, It's not just not engaging in sexual activity as a choice, which is what celibacy is, but it's people who do not want to um, engage in sexual activity, although they might um, have romantic interests in men, women, or both, uh, or or be pan Uh, I'm sorry, pansexual. Um, So asexuality is a lot like LGB in that it is a uh, sexual orientation, um, but it's one based on the absence of sexual activity, which seems very different than LG or B.
0: Well, it seems like among all of these different groups and identities, there are certain points of commonality, but also meaningful points of. Of difference. And I wonder how you think about the relationship between those two. I mean, insofar as this is kind of something we want to see as a group, uh, kind of a broader social movement uh, pushing toward related goals, you know, what do you see as the key points of commonality?
1: There are quite a few. There's the fact that asexuality Helps us understand sexual orientation more expansively. Um, there's the fact that intersex uh, and non-binary help us understand um, sex and gender as an organizing principle differently. And in a general sense, all three groups uh, are sort of non-normative uh, sexual orientations, gender identities. Um, and and uh sexual characteristics um but there are also important tensions between all of them um so non-binary um wants the option non-binary individuals do not want to have to identify as male or female whereas trans in gender conforming trans individuals uh want to be recognized as male or female um Intersex individuals have been advocating against um, infant normalization surgeries. Um, Basically, when an intersex uh, infant is born with ambiguous genitalia, often doctors will um, perform surgeries uh, really while the child is still an infant, um, which can lead to heavy heavy scarring, um, infertility, loss, loss of sexual sensation as an adult. Um, And intersex rights advocates have said doctors don't need to do this for gender identity to form, Um, whereas gender-conforming trans individuals are saying that no physicality really is important to gender identity, and uh, they want expanded access to medical treatments so as to have bodies conform to gender identity. Um, And then asexuals, um, they asexuality helps us understand uh, sexual orientation as being more than same-sex and opposite-sex sexual attraction, as opposed to the Kinsey scale with same-sex and opposite-sex on uh, each end, we have really a circle uh, with um, the, the points on opposite sides as you know, opposite-sex, same-sex, and then bisexuality and um, and asexuality. The, the point is that um, all of these things help us understand various parts about what it means to have non-normative sexual orientations and gender identities very differently. But the priorities of the groups might be very different, and they might cut against what people currently within the movement might want.
0: Well, I wonder if you could talk briefly about some particular moments of tension uh, around these questions, like specifically moments where maybe the messaging surrounding the sexual orientation and gender identity movement was contested, or certain people felt like their um, their interests weren't being properly recognized.
1: Let me give you one from using non-binary rights. Um, so opponents of LGBT rights have succeeded in large part in repealing anti-discrimination laws by arguing that gender identity anti-discrimination protections will allow men to have access to women's restrooms. Um, And the argument that uh, LGBT rights groups have made, and it's been a very convincing argument, is that um, since Trans men are men and trans women are women. They belong in men's and women's restrooms. Uh, and in fact, seeing a trans man, uh, in a women's restroom is, is very uncomfortable for everybody involved because, uh, a trans man is a man, not a woman. And so the advertising, uh, the, litigation arguments, have emphasized the ways in which transgender men and women conform to gender stereotypes and the way in which their um, appearance in the sex segregated spaces that match their uh, gender assigned at birth is actually inappropriate. Um, and that um, it is that requiring uh, that result is the opposite of what people want. Um, but, and that is true for trans men and women. Uh, Trans men should be using men's bathrooms. Trans women should be using women's restrooms. Um, But what we're not talking about are non-binary individuals. Um, And people who are gender non-conforming tend to be policed pretty heavily when they try to access sex segregated spaces. And it's not just non-binary individuals. So um, in the wake of HB2, which was uh, North Carolina's bathroom bill that said, you know, people can only use the restrooms of their assigned sex of birth. um, There were a lot of lesbian women who found themselves uh, being harassed in restrooms, uh, being asked to leave, uh, having police come and try to arrest them because they were using the quote unquote wrong restroom. Um, so the, the arguments are um, very accurate for some who fall under the LGBT umbrella, uh, but they leave out others as well.
0: So, I mean, it seems to me that on some level, this messaging that was used made a lot of sense and was very effective. But In other ways, it's troubling because it kind of leaves some people out. I wonder if you think there are ways to kind of reframe or rethink the way that these arguments are made to be more inclusive and better recognize the sort of diversity of ways that people express sexuality and gender.
1: There are. And um, I I wrote an article that came out in Northwestern – I want to say it's about 18 months ago now, called Framing Trans Rights, which gives arguments for how it is that uh, trans rights arguments can be more inclusive of non-binary individuals. Um, I think it is important for uh, trans men and women to have their gender identity recognized. Uh, I think it is also possible to promote their rights and also bring non-binary individuals into the conversation. Um, I don't think it's an either or, and I don't think it requires um, too much massaging on any end. Um, So instead of just emphasizing gender-conforming trans men and women, we could emphasize gender-conforming trans men and women and non-binary individuals. One of the effective strategies of the LGBT movement has been bringing in family members and talking about how important it is for their their LGBT family members' rights to be recognized. Um, The same should work as well with um, non-binary interests. So it's things like that that can really expand strategies.
0: So are there people who resist the idea of sort of changing the framing uh, that's relevant to the particular uh, identity group in which they find themselves and and if so, sort of why might people resist that and why do you think that might be a mistake? I think there
1: are a couple of concerns uh, that lead people to resist uh, reframing. The first is that if you know one frame works, uh, it's really hard to take a gamble and say we should try something else because it's more inclusive. And as a result, um, the entire group might lose their rights. That's a really big ask. Um, It's also um, true that um, although the movement became LGBT in the mid-late 1990s, uh, these organizations were often trans-inclusive in name only. And they've only become uh, more cognizant of trans rights, more active uh, in litigating and advocating for trans rights in recent years. Um, So I think uh, some of it might also be um, we've only come so far and very recently. uh, Pushing even further now is maybe too soon.
0: Yeah, I mean, that is certainly something that struck me reading your paper is sort of how quickly the narrative around these questions has developed, changed and broadened in a very short Period of time. Do you see signs that the sort of broader discourse is beginning to incorporate some of these non-binary, non-gender conforming identities that you talk about in the paper?
1: I do, and I. That's why I think um, many state and local groups are LGBTQ. Uh, many national groups uh, say they're LGBTQ and do, uh, even if they don't. Uh, act to recognize non-binary interests, uh, certainly see those, see that as part of their mandate. Um, and we're, we're seeing more of it in popular culture. I think, um, there are more and more, uh, states providing X designations on identity documents, um, birth certificates and driver's license. Uh, The state department has been ordered to offer an X designation on passports. Um, but I, you, you are right. The, the pace of change has been incredible. And um, it, it's, it's remarkable. Uh, the question is, is it going to keep going? And so is this a chance to seize the moment and expand or to dig deeper into for the rights of um, the people that LGBT rights groups are already mandated to represent?
0: what should the takeaway be for people who are interested in being more expansive and what, how should we think about these questions in ways that might reconcile some of the points of disjunction that people might otherwise feel in kind of including so many differing perspectives within one social movement?
1: So, Social movement theory is um, it's pretty clear that social movements organize according to uh, identity and strategy. So people come together because they have a shared identity, but there's also um, they have they have shared goals because of uh, those identity characteristics. Uh, and then, movement organizations have to make decisions based on strategy, that might cleave those identity groups apart, but it can also bring them closer together. Um, so everything is, um, is not, it. none of the decisions are easy as to which direction to go in. And um, just because people identify in similar ways that they have uh, shared identity bases doesn't mean that it makes sense for them to form part of a social movement the history of social movements is one of fracture, not expansion. And that's because um, different groups within different sub within an identity group may want different things because people are uh, multivalent. They have multiple uh, characteristics that are relevant. Um, so there's no, there's no clear um, basis for arguing that one thing is right as opposed to another. I think, you um, this is very much uh, a shades of gray area as opposed to black and white. Um, and um, it's actually quite remarkable that organizations change from gay and lesbian to LGBT to LGBTQ and that um, movement members are thinking about how to incorporate other people because that diverges significantly from the history of social movements where people tend to narrow down.
0: Well, Ma in... In closing, I I wonder if you could reflect a little bit on sort of to your mind, to the extent that people want to think more expansively about the social movement around gender and sexual identity. Are there particular ideas, particular arguments, particular strategies that you think might be useful or productive for people to kind of focus on or deploy in pursuing those kinds of social goals?
1: I think um, part of what we need to think about is um, what form of movement work is useful. So one option is to expand LGBT to LGBTQ, LGBTQIA, and there are more options. Um, That could be expanded out entirely um, to just advocating on behalf of any um, non-normative sexual orientation gender identity. Um, There are also ways of these identity groups working together without... Undergoing some kind of movement expansion. Um, so, there is a world in which um, intersex rights advocates are allies of LGBT rights groups and they work together in coalitions on specific issues, um, but then they work separately on others. Uh, it's not integrated. Um, There's other more limited forms of cooperation. Um, We see rights groups working in different spaces, writing um, amicus briefs on the issues that uh, others are pursuing to provide some more limited support. Um, So there are many ways in which movement work can happen. Uh, It is not all or nothing. Um, And it's a question of what the costs and benefits are with each formulation. Um, it's also possible to um, radically reconceptualize what we think of as the movement. Um, so instead of expanding to LGBTQIA, we could think of a world in which um, sexual orientation and gender identity divide just differently. So it'd be LGBA and TQ&I um, with the groups working on uh there uh, on sexual orientation as opposed to gender identity.
0: Well, thanks so much for coming on the show again. This is a fascinating paper, really interesting history, and very helpful and insightful look at uh, these different ways of being in the world that really helped me understand the what's at stake in a, in a much deeper way.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
2: Quite for no reason, I'm here for the season and high as a kite. (laughs) Living in error with Maud at Cap Ferra, which couldn't be right. Everyone's here and frightfully gay. Nobody cares what people say. Though the Riviera seems rarely much queerer than Rome at its height. Yesterday night, I went to a marvelous party with Nunu and Nada and Nell. It was in the fresh air. And we went as we were, and we stayed as we were, which was hell. Poor Grace started singing at midnight, and she didn't stop singing till four. We knew the excitement was bound to begin when Laura got blind on Dubonny and Gin and scratched her veneer with a Cartier pin. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha! I couldn't have liked it more. I've been to a marvellous party. I must say, the fun was intense. We all had to do what the people we knew would be doing a hundred years hence. Dear Cecil arrived wearing armor, some shells and a black feather boa. Poor Millicent wore a surrealist comb, made of bits of mosaic from St. Peter's in Rome. But the weight was so great that she had to go home. <laughs> I couldn't have liked it more. People's behavior away from Belgravia would make you aghast. So much variety watching society scampering past. If you have any mind at all, Gibbon's divine decline and fall. Seems pretty flimsy. No more than a whimsy. By way of contrast, Saturday last, I went to a marvelous party. We didn't stop dinner till ten and young Bobby Carr did a stunt at the bar with a lot of extraordinary men. Mm. Dear Baba arrived with a turtle, which shattered us all to the core. The Grand Duke was dancing a rumba with me when suddenly Cyril screamed, Sid-a-dee-dee! and ripped off his trousers and jumped in the sea. Ha,
0: ha, ha,
2: ha. I couldn't have liked it more. I've been to a marvelous party. Elise made an entrance with May. You'd never have guessed from her fisherman's vest that her bust had been whittled away. Poor Lulu got fried on Chianti and talked about esprit de corps. Maurice made a couple of passes at Gus and Freddie, who hates any kind of a fuss, did half the big apple and twisted his truss. <laughs> Couldn't have liked it more.